this World Mission Sunday, and we ask that you would pour out upon this people and upon two special girls your Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to continue the mission of God that Jesus has given to us, to spread your blessing, to spread, to spread your renown, your fame, your glory, mercy, and grace to every nation in this world. And so help us, we pray, this morning. Feed us by word and sacrament. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, good morning. I am glad to be back uh, preaching. It seems like, I don't think I've preached a sermon since um, Christmas Eve, on Sunday at least. So I'm glad to be back here. It's been a nice hiatus, a uh, chance to go a little vacation here, uh, get some other things uh, done around the parish, but glad to be back with you here this morning and to be speaking with you and opening up God's holy word if you go ahead and take a pew Bible, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between that Old Testament lesson uh, from Genesis chapter 12 and our gospel lesson this morning from Matthew chapter 28. You can just put two fingers or two connect cards or whatever you want to do there or pull it up on your phone or just listen. Uh, but you can, if, you want to, if you're the type of person that likes to double check what I'm saying, uh, we have the Bibles there for you and you can do that. Hold me to it. Hold me to the word. Our gospel lesson this morning is commonly known as the Great Commission. Many of us know it as that. And it is a fitting passage to be assigned on this Sunday morning, uh, which is known in the Anglican Church in North America as World Mission Sunday. And so this morning we're going to look through the lens of Matthew chapter 28 and Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look at the creation-wide mission of God that Jesus draws every local church, every Christian household, and indeed every individual Christian up into and the mission of God that Jesus commissions us to participate within does not occur in a vacuum. It has history. It has a story. And that's what our passage in, in Genesis chapter 12 helps to flesh out this morning. It provides us a big piece of the background story that informs how we are to understand the great commission that Jesus gives us as his disciples and to set it within the unfolding story of God and of his loving interactions with his good but now fallen and marred creation. So go ahead and look with me there at Genesis chapter 12. Such a short passage. We're just going to read it again so that we can soak in God's word here. Listen. Now the Lord, that's Yahweh, the creator God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, and go from your kindred, and go from your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's no mistaking the central theme of this passage. The words bless and blessing shine brilliantly like jewels in a necklace or jewels in a ring. Some form of the word bless occurs five times in these three short verses. 
God declares that he will bless Abraham, that Abraham will be a blessing, that those who bless Abraham will themselves be blessed, and finally, that all the families of the earth will count themselves blessed in Abraham. What a profound statement. Blessed in Abraham. This is a quite remarkable episode in light of the previous nine chapters of Genesis. As you may know, in Genesis chapter 3, the rebellion of Adam and Eve against God in the garden opened creation to the life-destroying work of sin, evil, and death. And the effects of this are catastrophic in the ensuing chapters. Sin, evil, and death quickly come to ascendant power in human hearts and lives and throughout creation. They pose such a threat to God's good creation that he does the unthinkable. He doles out the judgment of the flood in an attempt to preserve life. After the flood, we see that humanity is still held captive to sin and evil, and death still reigns over God's good creation. Yet now there is a hope. There's hope found in God's covenant with Noah that his divine mercy and grace will go deeper. His divine mercy and grace will go further than our sin, further than our evil, and that ultimately, true life, divine blessing, will triumph over death. There's hope in the story for redemption. So when we come to Genesis chapter 12, we hear a most beautiful and exhilarating chorus coming from the voice of God. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. You will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. Go, Abraham, and be a blessing. The God whose blessings first bathe creation in life and vitality and flourishing is on the move to bless his image bearers and his good creation yet again. And that's God's mission. That's God's mission from the very beginning, from the very first chapters of Genesis. From Genesis chapter 1, his intention is to create this world and for it to be such a place marked by his blessing, his life and vitality and flourishing that goes out from the epicenter of creation and covers every square inch of earth. And as you know, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they become traitors and they go the other way. They open up to this wonderful world of blessing, death. But yet God's disposition to the world, to his image bearers and creation, remains one of blessing, a desire to redeem. So even when we turn our face so far from God that the thought, every thought of our heart is always wicked continually, Genesis chapter 6 God still acts, though in judgment, but ultimately for mercy, he still acts to bring about blessing across the entire face of this earth. That's God's mission. That's the mission from Genesis all the way through Christ to the book of Revelation. The passage we didn't have read this morning is Revelation 7, 9 through 17, where we see around the throne of God and around the lamb that was slain, we see a, a, a chorus a group of people, of image bearers from every tribe, language, and nation giving praise 
to the creator God and giving praise to the lamb that was slain. That's the mission of God, to bring about life in all this world. God's blessing is the enjoyment of the good gifts of his creation in abundance. God's blessing means that true life triumphs now in a broken world over death. The birth of Isaac in the ensuing chapters there in Genesis gives great testimony to the power of God to bring life in the context of death. After decades and decades and decades of painful barrenness, God gives Sarah in her old age, a child. Through whom his promise to bless continues on. God's desire is that through Abraham and his descendants, he will orchestrate redemption for all the families of the earth. According to God's wisdom, all the nations of the world will find in Abraham ultimate blessing, that is true life, ultimate life, redemption from sin, evil, and death, and reconciliation to God, peace with our creator. And in his covenant with Abraham, here in Genesis chapter 12, God issues him a twofold command. Go and be a blessing. Go and be a blessing. This twofold command forms the backbone of God's mission to redeem humanity and restore creation throughout the rest of Holy Scripture. God's mission is to spread his blessing. That is true life and vitality and redemption across every square inch of planet Earth, to every language and tribe of people on this planet, to every human endeavor, from raising children to raising livestock, and even when those two don't seem far apart from one another. I know that's how our house feels right now. Herding cats or cattle, which I don't know, whichever one you want to use. God's blessing go to every human endeavor, from raising children to raising livestock, from carpentry to law, from medicine to art, to every good thing that we do as bearers of God's image. And in God's wisdom, he will bring this about through Abraham. Through Abraham. And so when we come to the Gospel of Matthew, when we come to the Gospel of Matthew, we should not thoughtlessly pass over the genealogy how many of us are guilty of seeing the word genealogy and be like, let's skip a few pages. Let's get past all these names I can't pronounce. But just listen to me as I read the first verse of Matthew's gospel. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. And this is where most of us check out. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. The son of David. The son of Abraham. The son of Abraham. And then Matthew is intentional about showing how Jesus descends from Abraham through David up until his time. Son of Abraham. Matthew wants to make the connection crystal clear. That Jesus is the descendant of Abraham that the world has been longing for. He is the one through whom God's ultimate blessing will be poured out on every language and tribe of people. It is through Jesus, the son of Abraham, that sin, evil, and death will be defeated. You see in Jesus, God's mercy and grace go deeper than all our sin. Go deeper. Go further than all our sin. His love for us overcomes our shame when we feel like no one could love us if they knew us. 
His sacrifice on the cross for us cancels the written record of our sin debt that Paul tells us of in his letter to the church at Colossae. And by his death and resurrection, he has exhausted the power of sin, evil, and death. The worst our ancient foe could muster was poured out on Jesus on the cross, and it came to nothing. It was found wanting. And so with confidence and great joy, we as the people of God, along with St. Paul, can say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This this context of the victory of God in Jesus through his death and resurrection is the context of our passage this morning in Matthew's gospel. For indeed, the Great Commission falls on the heels of two sets of witnesses, of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. We have the women who come and tell the apostles, Jesus is alive. He wants to meet you on this mountain in Galilee. And then we have another set of eyewitnesses, the soldiers who go to the chief priest, and they're like, this guy rose from the dead. An angel rolled away the stone. And of course, they pay them hush money and tell them to proclaim a different story, that the disciples came and seized the body. But in the context of Jesus' victory and of God's vindication, because in that moment of resurrection, God overturned death, opening up for Jesus' life again, new creation life. In that moment, he overturned burial and opened up the grave. In that moment, he overturned the verdict that Pilate and the religious leaders had pronounced against the condemned one, Jesus. And God proclaimed him innocent in his life again from the dead. That's the context of the Great Commission. That's the context that Matthew lays out for us here in his gospel. Here we encounter Jesus, the son of Abraham, risen from the dead as a living foretaste, as an advanced sign, a down payment of the blessing of the life that God will pour out on all creation and on all who turn to him in faith and repentance. In Matthew chapter 28, the risen Jesus now turns to his disciples and he commissions them to go and be a blessing, to go and spread to every nation the blessings of true life that only Jesus provides, redemption from sin and evil and death and reconciliation to our creator God, the only source of true life and human flourishing. And the particular form this mission takes is creation-wide Whole life discipleship. Just listen to Jesus again, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God did not send his only Son to die on our behalf, in order to pour out his blessing, to pour out his true life and flourishing on only a little part of our lives. 
on just a select few nations or people in this world. Jesus died, and God sent him to do that, to die on our behalf, so that all of our life, every part of it, every aspect of it, from the deepest, darkest corner of it to the most public part of it, is defined by the blessing of God, by the life of God. And not only our lives, God's desire is for that blessing to flow out to every nation, every people group, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. He desires them to experience true life and flourishing under his gracious and merciful reign. And he commissions us to spread the renown of Jesus. God's mission throughout the scriptures, the mission that finds its climax in Jesus' death and resurrection, is to bring about blessing, true life and vitality and flourishing. To bring about this blessing to every square inch of this planet, to every tribe and nation and people, to every part of human life, to every labor, to every work, to every vocation. And the key to God's blessing moving out across creation and to every nation is making disciples that's the key to blessing. That's the key to the, world, to the world experiencing the blessing of God is to make disciples. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. And making disciples of the risen king is the single most important thing we are given the privilege to do as a church. It's the single most important thing we are given the privilege to do as individual Christians. And for those of you who are parents, your children are the single most important discipleship work you will ever do in your life. You have 18 years to shape them to love Jesus, to respond to the grace of God that he freely gives them in baptism. Whitney, Chase, are you ready for that? <laughs> I know you are. You love your kids and you want them to love Jesus. And it's vitally important for us to recognize that making disciples is not reducible to winning converts or ensuring that they're baptized. Those are all important things, but it's more than that. A disciple is one who turns to God in faith and repentance and commits his or her whole life to God. A disciple is one who listens to Jesus, who learns from him how to live, how to pray, how to do all the things that are pleasing to God in life. Christian discipleship is a total way of life, a commitment to a pattern, to pattern our daily actions and decisions in every sphere of human life after the example set by Jesus and revealed in God's word. Still, every lifelong commitment must have a beginning. It must start somewhere. Like marriage, we make vows, it starts somewhere. And for us, discipleship begins submerged in the mercy and grace of God where in some ironic turn, we die so that we might live. It's right here in the waters of baptism where God promises to pour out his grace and to do all the great things that he promises to do for us throughout Holy Scripture when we come to these waters, whether it's from the washing of regeneration, Titus chapter 3, whether it's the forgiveness of sins and the conferring of the Holy Spirit, Luke or 
Peter's sermon, Acts chapter 2, whether it's being united to the life, death, and burial and resurrection of Jesus, Paul in chapter 6 of his letter to the Romans, to Peter where he says the most remarkable thing that baptism saves you by God's grace because now he's given you through it an appeal to a good conscience. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he sits at the right hand of God, our high priest, interceding for us. Praise be to God. But discipleship doesn't, doesn't end there. It only begins there. And along with baptism, we are to instruct new disciples and be continually instructed ourselves in the teachings of Jesus, the way of Jesus, revealing how the gospel is meant to give shape and direction to our entire lives. So disciples must learn how the gospel is to affect everything, whether it be family matters, economics, relationships, employment, business, ownership, government, politics, education, city planning, how it affects our social issues of the day, whether that's anything from birth control and abortion to human sexuality, marriage, gender, or race. The gospel and, human, and, and our discipleship in the way of Jesus is about learning how to live like Christ in all of that and in response to all of that. The good news of the risen Jesus must ultimately go beyond personal formation to broader enculturation, whereby the kingdom of God comes to define and rule every human endeavor, every human work, every human vocation, every human society so that God's kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. Is that not our prayer every day when we pray the Lord, the prayer that our Lord has taught us? And it's through this creation-wide, whole-life discipleship that God's blessing, that true life and flourishing will spread to every nation and across this world. And here's the amazing thing about it all. Here's the most, that, that mission alone is so daunting. It's, it's unimaginably complicated when we start to think about how does the gospel influence all aspects of our lives. But here's the one thing that's so remarkably amazing and that enables us to do it is that Jesus doesn't give us this commission without a promise. I will be with you always. The one whom God has given all authority in heaven and on earth will be with us always. The one whom God has given power over death to bring about life will be with us always. Even until the end of the age, there is no moment in our lives where Jesus will not be present with us. And that gives us every reason not to fear a thing in this world, but to face it with the confidence of the gospel. And that gives us every reason to be confident in Jesus and in the grace and mercy of the gospel as it goes out not only in our lives, but as we proclaim it to others, inviting them to find true life in God's divine blessing in this life and in the life to come. So practically, what do we do to make disciples? This will just be one minute here. Two things. Go out from this place and be a blessing. Second thing, pray and give so that others can go and make disciples where we can't. So go out from this place and be a blessing. Live out the gospel in your life. 
in every aspect of it, in your home, your neighborhood, your relationships, your work, your civic life. Tell people about the hope that dwells in you. Brag on Jesus a little bit. Leslie Newbigin is famous for saying, most people are not given the gift of evangelism, but we're all commanded to evangelize. We're all commanded to tell about the good news. So how is it that we all do that? And he said, it is because we go out from our place of worship, we go out into this world and we live lives that call forth speech. We live in such a way that our lives demand questions. Why are you like this? You're crazy. Why do you forgive? Why do you live like this? So we live out the gospel and then we tell people why we have hope. We brag on Jesus and then we invite them to know Jesus. We invite them to come and die so that they might find life in the waters of baptism. And then we teach them the way of Jesus. And then secondly, we pray and we give so that others can go where we cannot to proclaim Jesus, to make him known to the nations. And you know we do that here? Logan and Aubrey Rogers and their six kids, they've been with us for a season. We've loved it, but they're going back out. On the 27th of February, they're going back to, to North Africa, to Egypt, to do that in our stead and on our behalf to proclaim the good news of God and to prepare to do that among the Bija, an unreached people group in North Africa. We support the Stewartsons. You support with your generosity and prayers. You support the Stewartsons who are medical missionaries sent out from this church to Papua New Guinea. I hope you read their newsletter. Pray for them. Pray for them. We support the Petersons here, another couple in North Africa and Egypt who are supporting churches there. Pray for them. Give support them. And we also support Father Ben, founding rector of Christ Church, who goes and we send out from this church to catalyze church planting and mission in West Virginia and Appalachia. And he's doing a remarkable, the Spirit of God is doing such a remarkable work through the Anglican Church in North America and West Virginia, of all places, planting weird Anglican churches in a weird place. So pray and give. Saturate the commission of Jesus in prayer. We cannot pray enough. And one of the tangible ways we can do that this morning is we can pray for these children. As they're coming to the waters of baptism here to receive from God the grace that he offers us. And so uh, be at prayer. Y'all can come on up. We're going to go ahead and get started here.